Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by asking a question. What is grace? Those who are Bible students usually have a pretty quick and ready answer to that question. Most will say grace is the unmerited favor of God. And that is an absolutely correct response. But what does it mean, practically speaking? When we say that grace is the unmerited favor of God, do we all understand what we've said? The grace of God is such a vitally important subject, for without it, we are lost and have no chance at all. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. At the same time, as important as it is, grace is one of the most misunderstood of all Bible subjects. What I would like to do in this episode is to see if we might come to know and appreciate a little bit better the grace of God as we see it operating in the life of a single individual, and that individual would be Paul. I think this is one of the best ways that I know of to get a practical understanding of God's grace. Not a deep theological understanding of it, but a practical one that will help us to understand how it makes possible the salvation of even the vilest of men. When we first meet Paul or Saul, we would not think of him as being a servant of Christ. As a matter of fact, if we had been there at the time, there's probably a good chance that many of us would not have wasted our time trying to teach such a person as he was, but God does not see things in the same way we see them. Let's go to where we are first introduced to Saul. It is found in Acts 7 at the conclusion of Stephen's courageous presentation of the truth concerning Jesus. In verses 57 through chapter 8, verse 1, we see the reaction of his listeners to what he had said, as well as meeting Saul. We find, but they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid their robes aside at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen, as he called unto the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Move on down to verse 3 where we find, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Move on over to chapter 9 and look at verses 1 and 2. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any of the way, both men and women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Viewing these passages together, our initial reaction to Saul can't be real positive. He was a man in such vehement opposition to the Lord that he assisted those who were stoning Stephen and was in hearty agreement with what they were doing. This was a man who was not content with simply expressing his displeasure with the Lord and his church. He ravaged the body of Christ, having men and women who were Christians thrown into prison. The way he felt about it is best expressed in the words, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. In fact, moved by his hatred of Christ and his disciples, individuals he perceived as gross violators of the law of Moses, Saul was willing to travel as far as Damascus, a journey of 120 miles, to bring disciples of Jesus back to Jerusalem where they might be put into prison and even put to death. How can such a man ever be forgiven? That is where the grace of God comes in. Let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul describes his former manner of life in language that is just about as plain as it can possibly be. In verses 8 through 10, he wrote of various kinds of sinners, different things that people involve themselves in. He wrote, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who killed their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Moving down to verses 12 through 17, we find Paul writing of what he had personally been, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at how Paul described himself. He was a blasphemer. The word used there has as its root a word meaning to speak reproachfully, to rail at, to revile. And that pretty well describes Saul as he blasphemed the Lord and his church. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 11, Luke wrote that he tried to force the saints to blaspheme against the Lord as well. Think about a person doing this. Picture it in your mind as a person rails at, reviles, and maliciously accuses the disciples of Jesus. If you can picture it, that was Saul. In the passage from 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said that he had been a persecutor, a word found only here in the New Testament. One of the commentators, R.C.H. Linsky, wrote that by using that particular word, Paul was describing himself as one 
who chased the Lord's people as one chases wild animals, who himself acted like a wild animal in this activity, and who persecuted the Lord himself. It presents a picture of one who was obsessed with stamping out the disciples of the Lord. He also described himself as a violent aggressor that can also be an insolent man, capable of being described as one who, uplifted with pride, either heaps insulting language upon others or does them some shameful act of wrong. Paul used this word for a reason, and the reason was that that was the kind of man he had been. In verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul wrote that Jesus came to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. The reason he felt that way is expressed in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, where Paul wrote, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. To the Galatian brethren, he wrote in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he had acted ignorantly in unbelief. We are talking about a man who truly believed that he was doing the right thing at all times. He said in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. We find in Acts 26 and verse 9, Paul saying, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It reminds me of Jesus looking down from the cross upon the very ones who were responsible for nailing him there and saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Does God overlook ignorance and forgive all sins done in ignorance? No, he does not. As a matter of fact, ignorance is itself part of the result of sin and is, is purposefully persisted in, sinful itself. Do you remember Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6? The King James Version renders that first part of that verse this way. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. But Paul had not deliberately acted against his convictions. He had not stubbornly hardened his heart or willfully resisted the Holy Spirit. He had acted out of conviction, mistakenly thinking that he was doing God a service. However, when his ignorance was shattered on the road to Damascus, he was no longer an unbeliever. And when he was told what he had to do by Ananias once he was in the city of Damascus, he did it in obedience to the Lord. Ignorance does not excuse anyone. Now then, how is it possible for a person who is a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and the foremost among sinners ever to be saved? Don't those kinds of actions in such a wrong view forever seal a man to eternal damnation? It would sure seem that way to me, but this is where the wonders of the grace of God can be seen. Listen to the word of God. The worst sinner can be saved. Paul described himself as foremost among sinners back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But he also told us that Christ came into the world to save sinners. All of this was for a purpose, and that purpose is found in verse 16. And yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him through eternal life. Here it is. Paul stands as an example of what the marvelous grace of God can do. Jesus demonstrated his perfect patience in saving Paul and thereby shows that any person, no matter how vile, no matter how reprehensible he or she may have been or how terrible their actions may have been, they can be saved by God's grace through faith in him. As we follow Saul on the road to Damascus, we see him as the foremost among sinners. He was on his way there to further persecute Christians. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor or an insolent man. But the Lord saw what he could be. As a matter of fact, back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul tells us that Jesus saw that he was a man of deep conviction, that Jesus considered me faithful, putting me into service. The Lord made a dramatic appearance to Saul. Having seen Jesus, Saul became a believer. He cried out, What shall I do, Lord? And Jesus told him to go into Damascus and, in a vision, that a person named Ananias would tell him what to do. Ananias did come. When he came to deal with Saul's sins, he said in Acts 22 and verse 16, And now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. God's mercy was reaching down. His grace was at work. Saul's sins could be forgiven. They could be washed away by the blood of the Lord when Saul was baptized for the remission of his sins. He had sinned by blasphemy. That sin was washed away as he was baptized. He had persecuted the Lord and his people even unto death. Those sins were washed away as he was baptized. He came forth from those waters with every sin removed. He had been saved by grace through faith. Please note and understand that his being baptized was not a means of earning his salvation or of meriting forgiveness in his own way. It was simply doing in faith what God required. The mercy of God had been extended. The grace of the Lord was more than abundant. Paul took advantage of that grace, was saved, and stands as a great example for all believers that all can be saved if they will come in humble, obedient faith. There is no sin so vile that the grace of God cannot forgive. Whatever sin may have been in our lives can be sent away by the Lord God reaching out to us. I cannot fathom the wonders of his grace. God's grace opens the door, so to speak. We have to walk through it. I hope you'll give careful consideration to today's episode.